Hello and welcome to the Crude Report, Argus podcast series on global crude oil markets. My name is Hai Gugarat. I'm associate editor at Argus Media and my stories and analysis cover the nexus of U.S. energy and foreign policies. And I'm joined by senior reporter Chris Knight, whose coverage area includes U.S. domestic energy policy and regulatory actions. We are both based in Washington, D.C. So, Chris, this has been an interesting start to 2021, following uh, just as an eventful year and big changes, both for the government newsmakers we cover and, of course, a major change in the direction of U.S. energy policy as soon as uh, President Biden took office. The reaction from the oil and gas industry is consternation. Renewable energy developers are more enthusiastic. Can you walk our listeners through uh, some of the major highlights uh, in the last two weeks? Yeah. So, you know, President uh, Joe Biden on the on the campaign trail, uh, he talked a big game. He he calmed a lot of nerves on, on the on the liberal side of the Democratic Party with his promises to, to, to address climate change. And, you know, he really came right out of the gate with a lot of policies that satisfied their their desires on, on his first day. He, he signed an executive order blocking the Keystone XL pipeline. He essentially ordered his government to review every energy and environmental rule that was issued under the Trump administration. And uh, just in case it wasn't clear enough, they they singled out specific rules and said, you know, for example, uh, EPA, you need to write fuel economy rules. Uh, you need to propose a fuel economy rule by no later than April. You need to propose to regulate methane from new and existing oil and gas sources, I think by September. So those types of actions, they really put uh, the fire under these agencies and, and say, you know, you have to get these deliverables done right after that executive order. It's only been, I think, you know, two weeks, but, but he, Biden issued another executive order saying federal agencies, you have to pause all new federal oil and gas leasing until you complete a comprehensive review of the entire program. That executive order also set a bunch of goals on renewable energy. It told the government that you need to purchase more electric vehicles. It issued something that didn't get a lot of attention, but it's pretty important, directed the, the White House Council on Environmental Quality to start to factor climate change into all the reviews under a statute called NEPA. And, and this is a big deal for pipelines, it's a big deal for oil leasing, building highways. So really, right out of the gate, tons of, uh, of, of uh, items on energy and environmental policy. Uh, yes, indeed. So the initial reaction from oil and gas uh, folks uh, is fairly strong, even though then candidate Biden, as you just said, clearly telegraphed his planned change, of course. So what is happening on the congressional side, state capitals and courts? What levers can Biden's opponents use or anyone who uh, would like less of a change? So uh, former uh, Senate Majority Leader and now Minority Leader uh, Mitch McConnell said it quite well in 2017, which is winners make policy, losers go home. Um, and, and, and that's the, the situation unfolding right now uh, in, in the Congress. Um, Democrats just uh, approved uh, overnight uh, a massive $1.9 trillion budget resolution that will pave the way for COVID-19 relief. It passed uh, entirely with Democratic votes with uh, Vice President Kamala Harris casting the tiebreaker. And, uh, you know, Republicans were left on the sideline. They were able to, to score a few wins on, on messaging bills. But the substance of the policy is, is that Democrats get to decide what happens. You know, when Republicans lost those two special elections in, in Georgia, they really lost the ability to, to cause a lot of headaches for, for Biden's energy policy. They, they could have, you know, if, if Republicans held the Senate, 
they'd be able to insert riders, they'd be able to, to try to extract concessions related to energy policy, but they've lost that. And so Democrats are in the driver's seat for the next two years, at least. Now, there's obviously action in the states. Texas's governor, uh, Greg Abbott, signed an order saying, you know, we're going to try to oppose everything that, that Biden does on energy policy. I'm sure lots of state attorney generals will be filing lawsuits challenging a lot of the policies that, that Biden pursues. But, you know, the real action is going to be in the courts. One of former President Trump's most enduring legacies is going to be all the judicial appointments he made, I, something like 220 on the federal courts. And, uh, you know, those judges aren't going to be shy to wade into these energy issues. And uh, there's a lot of litigation waiting. Some has already been filed challenging some of Biden's energy actions. And, you know, I, I expect uh, some will be successful, some will not. But at the end of the day, all, all these uh, Biden energy policies, they really send kind of a big signal to the industry, a big signal to investors about the types of projects that will uh, have an easy pathway to, to completion and the pr type of projects that won't. So if you're thinking about building a, a giant uh, pipeline that goes across the country, if you're thinking about uh, developing a, a new oil leasing project on federal land, uh, you're going to be pretty cautious about doing that. And, and, and that sends a signal no matter what happens in the courts. And so, you know, Hike, I, I wanted to get to, to your side of the world. Biden's energy policies are going to change the upstream sector for a while. But uh, one of the biggest things that uh, that I've been wa watching you work on is is what's going on in the rest of the world. Can you can you tell us what's going on on the global side? Certainly. You mentioned the stimulus package that is moving through Congress, and that is going to have probably the biggest effect on uh, global oil markets in the interim, despite all the steps you have outlined that are affecting the upstream side. Because the biggest factor affecting oil prices is the demand picture. Um, and as the U.S. and the rest of the world are yet to recover from the pandemic, from the travel and economic activity restrictions that and government mandates uh, or self-imposed mandates that are cutting into the oil demand. Last year, we have seen a historically unprecedented slump in demand. And uh, just to give an idea, uh, the EIA does not expect U.S. jet fuel demand or gasoline demand even next year to be at the pre-pandemic levels. Now, those projections were pre-stimulus, pre-an acceleration in the vaccination rate. So if you're an oil market analyst, uh, all of a sudden you have to watch this data, epidemiological data, how fast the U.S. and uh, European countries and countries in Asia and the Middle East are rolling out their vaccination package. How quickly are the economies going to recover? So globally, the U.S. and China are in the best position to recover quickly. Specifically here in the U.S., the faster we recover from this 0.5% uh, decrease uh, in the GDP last year, uh, the sooner uh, oil demand will come back. So that's maybe down the road, uh, uh, all the new initiatives from the administration uh, don't sound so positive if you are strictly speaking on the oil upstream side or someone interested in offshore leasing. But in the meantime, any boost in a demand is going to leave off not just the country overall, but it's going to increase demand for uh, gasoline and down the road for jet fuel. And so that is that is a big uh, a, a positive uh, change uh, for uh, the industry overall. On the uh, on the foreign policy front, uh, 
Biden talked a lot about negotiations with Iran, um, and, and that could end with Iran returning to oil markets. What do you think the timeline is for that, and, and how would it affect U.S. and global producers? So yes, uh, just to give our listeners a perspective, uh, sanctions that were imposed by former President uh, Donald Trump have cut uh, more than 2 million barrels a day of Iranian production. That was, before the pandemic, that was roughly 2% of global supply. So if uh, if Biden's administration and the Iranian government reach uh, some sort of an agreement uh, on the nuclear deal, uh, potentially all or part of that uh, can come back. Now, the key thing, as you say, is the timeline. So two weeks in, at least as of uh, two weeks uh, into the administration, uh, the new government uh, here in Washington has not yet uh, spoken with their counterparts in Iran. Lifting the sanctions is not going to be an overnight task. Uh, There are a lot of steps in it just from legal and bureaucratic perspective, even if there is political agreement. U.S. insists that Iran must take the first step in uh, complying with the nuclear agreement. Iran says, well, the U.S. was the first to leave the agreement and uh, it must grant sanctions relief first. So this delicate, uh, so to speak, uh, political uh, discussions are so far in the public space. Uh, the two governments have not sat down to negotiate directly, but time is of issue. Iran has its own domestic politics. They have a presidential election in June. So if, if we don't see uh, some steps in, in reviving the nuclear agreement, we may not see them until later in the year. So later, the second half of... Uh, 2021 is the most likely timeline for Iran to maybe start coming back into the market if if the political side is all clear. Of course, uh, when uh, and how and whether Iran does that is of a huge importance uh, for the global uh, oil industry. Uh, as you know, uh, the alliance of producers, OPEC+, Plus, that includes the traditional OPEC as well as other major producers, are uh, keeping production down. And uh, if you add up to 2 million barrels a day into an already oversupplied market, that of course uh, complicates uh, the task of managing the market, the task of uh, allocating this uh, production cuts across uh, multiple countries. And down the road, of course, that affects uh, US oil industry as well, because U.S. producers are, of course, not part of the OPEC plus, but the decisions made by that producers alliance uh, affect the bottom line of U.S. producers directly. So that is something to watch and not uh, in the near term, but uh, later this year. And with that, we have come to the end of this podcast. You can find our stories and more in-depth coverage of politics and policy and geopolitical news and insights um, as it specifically relates to oil markets in both Argus Americas Crude and Petroleum Argus Weekly. You can find more information on both services at www.argusmedia.com. Thanks for tuning in and we hope you'll join us on the next episode of the Crude Report.